Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. He is one of our favorite people to speak with in the REIT world. He is the man behind the best-selling book, REITs to Riches, Everything You Need to Know About Investing Profitably in REITs. He is co-founder of REITscreener.com, ProButterfly.com, and he's got a real knack of making the world of REITs understandable for us wherever we are on the spectrum of investing. Tom Ging Ween joining us live. Good morning, Ween. How are you? Hello, good morning, Michelle. I'm good, doing well. Good to ha- hear that and great to have you back. So we know the IEDGE S-REIT index opened on the 1st of October lower than it did in all of September, trading about 1341. Technically, some of our guests be- that we've been speaking with believe that the REIT index could be going through some form of correction and that market sentiment might be slightly dented because of the number one China Evergrande debt issue, the potential rate hike by the US Fed, in September being statistically a volatile month and, of course, throw in the mix the continually increasing trend of COVID-19 cases here in Singapore. But with you specifically today, we wanted to look at the 11 SGX-listed REITs which have entered the FTSE EPRA NARIT Global Real Estate Index and ask how do you think these 11 REITs are doing now more than a month later? Okay, um, let's answer the question on the uh, REIT index. And maybe I'll, I'll just chip in a little bit on the, the situation in China and the uh, Evergrande one shortly. Mm. So let's cover your main question first. So, yeah, so in September, they, about eight, 11, 11 REIT entered the index and there were varying weightages anywhere from 0.03% to 0.06%. And I think the larger ones like Cromwell, European REIT and ESR, they, they were taking up a much larger sort of weightage that's about 0.06%. And this is an important index because it kind of shows that this is a recognition around the world that this, this read, you know, is, mm. is, is of something. It's of some uh, volume, some kind of liquidity, some kind of recognition. Right. And one of the largest reads is actually ETS, sorry, that actually tracks this index is BlackRock's iShares Global REIT ETF. Interestingly, it's short. Trading code is called REIT, R-E-E-T, REIT. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended, I know. I wonder what BlackRock was thinking, but I'm sure REIT was taken then. But yeah, this, this, this ETF alone is about $3.2 billion worth of net assets, right? So that's assets minus liability. So even at a weightage of 0.06%, we're looking at anywhere from about 1.9 million US dollars. Wow. And even medium medium sort of ETFs like Amundi, which also tracks this FTSE, EPRA, NARIT, Global Developed Index, mm-hmm. they're they are about a billion US dollars, which means that one single buy-up of 0.06% of their portfolio mm-hmm. would mean easily... 650,000 US dollars or almost a million Singapore dollars buyout. And at that volume of buying, just one, one ETF alone could actually just chew up the entire day's trading for uh, Cromwell European REIT, for example. So can you imagine the number of ETFs that are going to be buying in? Can you imagine the number of uh, funds 
private funds that are buying in. You could imagine the people who are, well, I, I'm not sure if there's a nice way to put this, but front-running the mm-hmm. indexes mm-hmm. because, you know, it's quite common, you know. It, I, I kind of do it in a, in a way. So when it's public information, so it's mm-hmm. not wrong, it's not inside the trade, but you kind of know it's coming. Mm-hmm. You know they're going to buy up, so you kind of buy into the, the these REITs first and then you sort of trade them off later once they buy it. So that was the hope. That was the hope, yeah, right? And hope. that's why we wanted to check in with you a month later after these inclusions and say, hey, how are these 11 REITs doing now? Personally, my view is if you want to play this game, you want to sort of do this fun running kind of thing. I know fun running doesn't sound like a good term, but ahead of the ETFs, Personally, my view is this is a short-term play. This is Mm. not a long-term play. So I wouldn't really use it as a long-term investment strategy. And the September month has been weak. So I think a lot of the REITs are down. I think a lot of the, uh, even the S&P 500 and the STI is down. STI is down about 4.4%. S&P from the peak about 5.4%. So at the REITs, I read index going down about 5 plus 5.8%. It's more or less, I think, just in line with global week sentiments on September, I think. Okay, Nothing so... Nothing to do with the index, so... Yeah, because people are expecting it to all pop, and then we saw them fall in, in the last month. 5.8%, yeah. you say. But yeah, it's a short-term thing. Fall. Short-term fall. Very short-term. So do you want to weigh in on whether or not you think the REIT index, and the Singapore REIT index generally, is going through some sort of correction because uh, sentiment is a little dented? Yeah, I think sentiment is a bit dented, uh, not just in Singapore, but globally as well. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you brought up an interesting point with about China Ever, Evergrande or Evergrande. I'm never quite sure how to pronounce that word. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's Evergrande or Evergrande. That's right. I mean, when you're off, uh, ordering a coffee, it's a grande, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or is it just grand? Uh, uh, what happened to big? Just big. All right. So do you think that it's going to have, you know, I mean, I was reading about the fact that China Evergrande alone, the unsold apartments, it's it's equal to the population of Germany. You know, that's how big the issue is in China. And we've been debating whether or not there's spillover effects. But this is a Chinese property developer. Should it worry other REIT investors if we're looking at property real estate investment trusts around the world? I think uh, it had a profound impact, actually, on the Hong Kong-listed REITs as well. It, they are closer to home, after all. But I think the whole saga affecting other REITs is a bit, in my view, um, a negative sentiment. But it doesn't hit the fundamentals of other REITs. Like, for example, LinkRead is down from $75 to $65. And that's a pretty steep drop in a short time. Indeed. And and all the negative sentiments and coming out from China as well. I mean, there is a lot of the Chinese controls on, 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 on gaming and the, and, the, and the game companies. And there was just a lot of bad news coming out of China. So sure. I think it's just really a, a one-off situation. With regards to Evergrande, my view is I think they will find a solution. I don't think this is a Lehman Brothers moment. I've seen some articles online. I don't think it's China's Lehman Brothers moment. They do have still physical assets. I'm sure there's a way to restructure. They've appointed, the Chinese government has appointed their restructuring uh, team. Uh, they have also have independent auditors and independent predators already appointed to look at how to extract the most value of the assets that they have because they do have physical assets. So I'm sure there's a way to restructure it. So I think it, the, uh, there will be some level of contagion, but I don't think it will be a global impact. 
plus a lot of the loans are within China, not so much globally. So mm. I think it won't have a big global impact that, that most people are imagining it to be. Okay, that's good to know. Good to know. Back to the REIT index, the FTSE APRA NARIT Global Developed Index. Do we have a sense of whether or not institutional inflows are helping the REITs that have entered this index? Or you can take that question generally as well. I mean, are we seeing institutional funds flowing back into S-REITs? I think they will eventually. I think, again, it's a weak September month. In my view, it's negative sentiment driven, but it doesn't hit fundamentals. So people will realize this and they will come back to it. Funds will flow back. I'm hoping optimistically for a Christmas rally because I have added positions in my read. So, oh. <laughs> so I'm, I, I believe that this, this whole negative sentiment coming out of China Evergrande probably is an opportunity to pick. I think the institutional inflows during the uh, spike in volumes is one-off, but ultimately it depends on the REIT performance that will drive the longer-term sort of price increase. You want to tell us which REITs you've added to? <laughs> you don't have to tell us which in particular, but you can just tell us the category, industrial, hospitality, retail, diversifying. Uh, okay, so I teased you on that, so you, you had to I, go, yeah, you I had took to the go bit. me that. Yes. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't even dropping a page. <laughs> I was making my point about taking advantage of sentiments. But yeah, uh, okay, it's a read in it's a read in US. So I took a bit of position during the weakening. I mean, it was a, a high of about two hundred and sixty dollars. It's now about two hundred and twenty-five. So oh. took advantage to add in. It's called innovative properties. Okay. Yeah. So it's a quite a unique read. I mean, you don't find these reads in Singapore. They actually are agriculture REITs. So they own farmlands. Ah, wow. Ah, and, and they lease it to, I mean, since, since we are on the topic, I might as well just say, they, they actually lease it out to marijuana growers. Mm-hmm. So they grow uh, medical marijuana. They, they, they have a right. tight sort of governance there. It has to be for medical use. It has mm. to be supplied to the medical industry. For So they sort of rent the land. They grow the marijuana. They sell. They pay the pay the rent and, and a share of the profits to the REIT. So I think it's an industry that will grow in the U.S. So I'm optimistic that that REIT will benefit from the medical marijuana industry. With legislation opening up in the With U.S. Yes, yeah. exactly. Oh, that's so interesting. You've just expanded my REIT world, really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there are a lot of fancy REITs out there. <laughs> yeah, aren't they? They're so yeah, interesting and innovative, really. Yeah, I, I mean... I really, really feel that people should look a little bit beyond the S-read Singapore. Maybe world. the next show you could have an international mm-hmm. read kind of show Focus, because it's, okay. it's a big, it's a big topic. Thank you. Yes, uh, we will look at that and, and broaden our own horizons at the same time. Coming back to our small world of the eleven <laughs> reads being included in the uh, FTSE EPRA Narit Global Developed Index, I think a lot of beginning investors want to know: Are any of these reads then? a good inclusion for our REIT portfolios? Are they must-haves for our REIT portfolios? What do you say to that? Again, I wouldn't use the uh, inclusion as an index as a sole criteria. I think inclusion in index is just one consideration factor. And in fact, in my personal perspective, inclusion in index affects retail investors a lot less. It affects the institutions or the big fund managers or family offices a lot more, especially when they need the liquidity. So inclusion index gives a certain recognition, possibly adds uh, more probability that more coverage is made, which then increases trading volume, 
And you have to have a minimum liquidity in order to be included in the index. So then that tells them that if they want to go in, they can come out easily, you know, without getting stuck on the shares. So I think it definitely impacts the larger ones. So I really, really wouldn't use an inclusion into an index as a criteria. Mm-hmm. So again, back to fundamentals, think, can the REIT have its organic growth? Can it internally keep raising its rents or do something fancy to, to, to notch up whatever rentals it can get from its existing tenants? So that's organic. Inorganic, can it continue to fuel its acquisitions? And it must be accretive. That's the key word. It has to be accretive when they acquire, they divest or they do M&A. And that should keep pushing up your DPU. And the share price will follow. And finally, I think REITs are exposed to uh, sectors where they are on a cyclic uptrend. That that all you know all you know the saying goes you know a rising tide lifts all boats, big or small. Mm-hmm. So go with the flow, go with the mega trend. So one of the trend, I, I guess we we kind of said it in in some ways earlier with the medical marijuana thing that's opening up in the US, I think that is a trend that we could actually look at. That's one example for ex- mm. cyclical uptrends. Okay, that's interesting. I'd buy a book if you wrote something about that. Oh, just on cyclic <laughs> uptrends? Just on oh. cyclical uptrends that you see in the next yeah. three to five years. Yeah, mm. but that's the tricky thing because cyclic uptrends are very um, political de- dependent as well. Yes, you know, yes. You know, during the Donald Trump era, it was oil. And then during the Biden era, it's green energy. So Mm-mm. it's not easy to put it in a book. <laughs> That's <laughs> true, especially it. a book. Yeah, you need something you can update like a la minute. Okay, as of today, the five best performing trusts recorded as of, I should say, a couple of days back, two days ago, the five best performing trusts recorded were ARA Logos Logistics Trust, Sabana REIT, Starhill Global REIT, Keppel Pacific, Oak, US REIT and First REIT. Now, of these five, I wonder if you can share a little as to whether or not you were surprised by the performance of, you know, these five being the top five to date. In terms of performance, do you mean in terms of share price performance or do you mean in terms of institutional inflow performance? So share I price. think a share price. Okay, got it. There are certain ones that I'm particularly surprised First read would be an example. Some, I think, are more rotational plays. Mm. So they're kind of expected. So a lot of the names that you mentioned, they are actually the mid-caps. Mm-hmm. So they're not the smallest, they're not the biggest. Oh, Sabana is a bit small, but I think 2020 during the COVID era, the, the stars and the shining stars that everyone was talking about was like the Capital DC read and Maple Tree Logistics Trust and Maple Tree Industrial Trust, Parkway Life read. And I think 2020, these were the star performance and all these that you mentioned, I know the ARA Logos, Sabana, Star Hill, they were a bit of the laggards. So I think what we're seeing today is more a rotational play as people take profits from from the REITs. I mean, they have moved up very significantly. The maple trees and the capital DCs and parkways have moved up very significantly. So I think there will be profit-taking and rotation into something of value right now. So I think that's what we are really seeing in this five trusts that you just mentioned. I, top of the list was ARA, and I think it, it went up very significantly. Oh, yes, ARA went up very significantly. Six, yeah. What do, what do you think explains its performance? Okay, I think ARA had a lot going for it. I mean, in the past, it was called ARA Industrial Trust, so it was uh, playing in the industrial spaces. And I think 
there was, I think, a big move with regards to its branding after mm. Logos is involved. So now it's ARA Logos Logistics Trust. So they are rebranding themselves, not just a general purpose industrial. We are moving into logistics. Mm. So I think that's the first key thing we need to be aware of, mm-hmm. that there was this big move. Of course, there was its big acquisition that it made around uh, Singapore and Australia. Then the third big thing we need to know about is actually ESR, the parent, not the REIT, Mm -hmm. the one that's listed in Hong Kong. ESR, the parent, actually acquired ARA. So, And in uh, ESR's own words, they mentioned the the Logos is actually, and I quote this directly from what they mentioned, Logos is the jewel in ARA's crown. So Mm -hmm. with Logos, ESR's development work, progress, work in progress, sorry, doubles to nearly, I'm just reading it off, uh, Mm -hmm. $10 billion. So that's $10 billion, uh, USD. So it doubles. So with that, I think there's a lot, a lot of positive sentiments towards ARA Logos. The first point is, I think, uh, the inclusion of Logos and the rebranding. So there's a repricing. People are no longer looking at it as a normal general purpose industry. They're looking at it as a logistics player now. And they are comparing it against the Fraser Logistics and the Maple Tree Logistics. So that's mm-hmm. a booster in the share price. Second one, the expansion of its potential portfolio of acquisitions, which has already executed one from Logos as well as for ES, ESR. So that doubles its entire potential acquisition target. So I think there was a lot going for it, a lot of press, and like um, JRA was also pushing a lot of the branding for it. So uh, investors took notice, and I think mm-hmm. that's, that's, I think, one of the key factors that really uh, is the re-rating behind uh, ARA's uh, industrial to uh, ARA logistics. I remember that quote from ESR, and it's a great one as well. Jewel in ARA's crown, uh, referring to Logos. Uh, you know, speaking of ESR, it wasn't long ago when it was the most talked about, most controversial merger in contemporary Singapore history that never took place. I'm talking about Sabana Reed and ESR Reed, and that's all we were talking about for a while. Since then, Sabana's second best performing Reed to date. So what explains how it's been doing? Okay. Yes, that was a controversial one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of bad blood there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of history behind. And uh, actually, during my class, I actually ran a case study on what happened to Sabana and how, why its structuring resulted in the situation that it was in today. But of course, there was new blood. Donald Hahn took over from Selvaraj. So there's a new CEO and vibrant groups are out of this. And then there are actually new sponsors and, and, and they are and, and Donald Hunt has been doing a good job doing the turnaround. He's been trying to sort of turn around the read through, you know, divesting its not non performing assets, doing its AEIs. And I think the main asset they wanted to focus on was new tech park or NTP plus, I think, uh, that's the mall near Serangoon area, Lorong Chuan. So yeah. yeah, so it that is I think the forty percent of its portfolio. So that's how large and significant this. So I think Sabanari had a lot of bad news last year. And as you said, the controversial, heavily discounted, I think it's 26% to NAV. That's what ESR tried to acquire it for. They triggered the acquisition at the heart of COVID when stock prices were all depressed. And I think, I guess from ERC's perspective, I can understand why, because they're taking advantage 
of a good pricing. Of course, for shareholders and especially Quartz Capital and Black Cray, they they really really campaigned against this acquisition, and they did very well. And I think we really are seeing the rise of activist investors. Yes. So they they really pushed the agenda. They had this campaign called Save Sabana. I don't know if you remember that. Oh. Yeah. They have a website. You could Google Save Sabana. You actually have a SaveSabana.com website. Yeah, I remember Quartz and Black Crane's opposition to the deal really boiling down to price. They didn't, they didn't think yeah. ESRE was paying enough for yeah. the Sabana units. I mean, I think it was about 30% below NAV. In fact, we had Donald Hahn on this show. He's great to speak with. And I asked yeah. him, how is this a good price? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he had a choice. <laughs> <laughs> But he's a quite an interesting character. I mean, uh, there was a, a, a random conversation that I uh, overheard with him. And he said, you know, if you cut me and test my blood, the only thing you'll find is real estate. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's yeah. fascinating. fascinating. Yeah, but back to the big question. I think Sabana, we yeah. And so yeah, many I, reasons. Yeah, I think it had a lot of web negative sentiment. So that was the biggest negative sentiment. And I think uh, because they were handling the new tech park rejuvenation, mm-hmm. and right at the heart of COVID was when they were supposed to accelerate and circuit breaker came. So bad news, the biggest asset delayed. You know, people have that view. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, earlier, you know that they had a number of resignations from their board. Uh, and, and these were independent directors. So, it, it, you know, three months into their job, independent directors resigned. So there were a lot of bad press happening. So I think now the situation is turning. The tide's a bit turning for Sabana. Situation started to get rosy. So I think Onohan must be very glad that this whole mm. saga is over. Yeah, I mean, the argument but, was it yeah. may not have staying power if it didn't accept the, the merger back then. But it's standalone, independent, and it's shown it's been able to survive. Yeah, so good job for the manager. Of for course, sure. Um, to uh, what extent uh, is shedding the uh, Sharia compliance nature of the, the REIT helped it? It complicates financing because they have to make sure that the financing is Sharia compliant. They cannot use interest. They have to use, and not all, all banks are able to offer that, that complexity. And for mm. those that do, sometimes it costs more. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, okay. On the other hand, it, they also have, need to maintain the Sharia compliance to their tenants. So certain tenants, you know, they can't have them in in house. Mm-hmm. So it sort of restricts what are the tenants they can go after. So I think by shedding this, I, I believe this month they should end of this month they should be able to shed that. They got approval to do so. That should be able to give them a bigger, bigger source and diversity in terms of their funding capability and also their t- going after uh, tenants as well as acquisitions because then they have to check the master tenant inside uh, the Sharia compliant. And now after shedding this, I think that should be easier for them. My so, guest is Tam Ging Wien. You're listening to Tam Ging Wien with me here on Money FM 89.3. So the next question that's uh, you know we have to get into is what do you think of their prospects going forward for ARA and for Sabanari? Okay, prospects going forward. I think ARA Logos Logistics Trust. I think they, 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 the 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 managers and the sponsors must be smiling right now. So it must be a dream come true for them for their share prices. I think uh, I just checked yesterday; it should be ninety-ish cents. Mm, and wow. considering their NAV is only their NAV, I think that's the term you use, NAV, mm-hmm. sixty-seven cents. That's a price-to-book ratio of about one point three four. 
Wow. Which means that it's on par with the other logistics players like Fraser Logistics. So they are definitely getting a premium on their share price right now against the NAV, which then allows them to make more accretive acquisitions going forward. So in the past, the, the problem with ARA was that they couldn't make very good accretive acquisitions when their share price was depressed. Mm-hmm. And I think with this whole switch in branding into logistics, this direction into branding, I think they are getting this re-rating, they're getting their traction, they're getting the coverage, they're getting the liquidity, and with that, the share price is getting a benefit from that. And I think going forward, if they can execute on their acquisitions well, really show growing DPU, in the long term, they could be a good investment. So the key word is they have to execute well in mm-hmm. terms of their DPU growth, mm-hmm. In terms of the acquisition, their their tendency is already very high, like around at ninety eight percent. Yes, so not too much problem there. So the next question is: Is it too late to jump on the back of these REITs? You mentioned long term. <laughs> you see good long term prospects for both. Okay, in the short term, uh, in the medium term, mm-hmm. um, it's harder to answer that question always because that's a crystal ball question. My view is: Don't chase things that have already run up. Take mm-hmm. advantage of it take advantage of negative sentiments that don't affect the key word is don't affect the fundamentals mm. so ARA I think a lot of the growth prospects have been priced in and that's why they're getting the premium that they get so in my view chasing it higher maybe you might be lucky but considering that they are already at 1.34 1.35 now it could go up to 4 maybe but what is that upside difference versus your downside risk maybe not so worthwhile for me to take at this price. But of course, if you took it last year or earlier this year when it was back at NAV, I think you would have been a great investment. However, since you mentioned this and you asked about this, I think another read that could potentially benefit from this re-rating is Cromwell European read. Mm. Yeah. So Cromwell European read, they have always been said, I'm a commercial read, I buy offices around Europe. But recently, the CEO mentioned that my strategy going forward is to hit 50% logistics assets in my portfolio. And they are only at 34 now. So if they can execute well, really bring up, rebrand themselves as a semi-logistics player, semi-commercial uh, office player, just like how Fraser Logistics is, then at a current NAV of about one, sorry, a current price to book of about one, they could, they could be re-rated at 1.3%. So that could be a 30% upside, potentially. Mm. So I would, look at, I would look at the next one. What's the next one rather than chasing the existing one? Okay. So same principles, different mm. read. Very interesting. And thank you for sharing that nugget with us. Speaking about REIT's ability to manage and execute on acquisitions, in your opinion, are there any REITs carrying out acquisitions that could dilute value for shareholders? Not in my recent memory, even Yesterday, the, the, the latest news out was United New Hampshire that made an acquisition, and even that was a critic. This year, I can't think of any. Ames acquired Woolworths HQ, that was a critic. They acquired Sign Derby Center, that was a critic. Uh, Capital DC Elite acquired the Guangdong Data Center, that was a critic as well. So, Irie Global acquired Barcelona, that was a critic as well. So, no, not in my recent memory this year. However, last year, there were quite a number and, and, and prior years. So I think the most dilutive acquisition I've seen is actually Lippo Mall's Indonesia Retail Trust. I think people shorten it to LMIRT. 
So in September 2020, they acquired Lipomos Puri. That's the most dilutive one I've seen in the asteroid history. And the result of that dilutive acquisition was CPU would be fall, would fall approximately 56%. And on top of that, they had the COVID issue in Indonesia to worry about. Their malls were closed. So DPU was hit uh, way more than that, not just with the uh, dilutive acquisition. They were also hit by the closures. And wow, that was, that was a bad one. But I don't know. I'm, I hope they will, they will climb their way back uh, with uh, vaccines going well. It's just the company, OUE C-Read, actually did a very uh, dilutive acquisition of OUE downtown offices that was back in September 2018, close to a 24% fall. Prior years, like uh, 2000s, iRead Global also had a, a, uh, had a dilutive acquisition when they acquired four buildings in Spain, about 19% fall on their DPU. Yeah, we were talking about it just last year in December. They had a very mildly dilutive one, not so serious, about 2.8%. But you can see the scale at iRead Global, 19%. The scale at OUE Commercial at 24% and and uh, fall and lipo malls at 56% fall. So those were, I would say, very, very dilutive acquisitions. ARA sort of mildly dilutive. Ween, always terrific speaking with you. Thank you for being here. All right. See you. Good to have you uh, with us. And hopefully we'll see you next time right here in the studio. Okay, I hope so too. <laughs> Tom Ging Wien is co-founder of ReadScreener.com and ProButterfly.com. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at MoneyFM893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.